Hi, everyone. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. The birds. The birds! He rises! Hey, Adapters, welcome back. I have another great episode for you today. Andrew Lewin, the host of the podcast, Speak Up for Blue, comes on to talk about ocean conservation. So Andrew is Canadian, and he's my second Canadian on the show. He's going to also talk about Canada's own recent war on science. Andrew talks about how science was stifled up north and how scientists were punished for speaking out. As most of us have heard, we are kind of going through this similar period ourselves here in the United States. And so it was really interesting to hear from Andrew, give his insight on what had happened. And they've had a recent election where that sort of pressure has led up quite a bit. So that's good news. But for scientists here in this country, it's a very useful conversation to get a sense of what might happen and then some of the things that you might be able to do. Okay, some other big news. The Science March just happened. I'm publishing this just a couple of days after the big Science March. I got to participate here in D.C. So some of my listeners participated in different places all over the country, and I asked them to share some photos on the Facebook page, my Facebook page, America Daps. Thank you so much, Dan Siskin, for getting it rolling. Mindy O'Neill. Hey, Mindy, these were some great photos, and I, I see that in the Seattle Bobo Fett was marching for science. Great. Good work, Boba. Boba. Boba Fett. Boba. Okay. And thanks to Julian Saliani and Kashi Davis and Tim Watkins for also sharing some photos. Glad a lot of you are out there supporting science. So the climate march is coming up this week, and I'm going to participate in that. And my goal is to go around and just do little micro podcasts with different folks participating. I'll be here in DC for that. Okay. Coming up next week, I have Barrett Ristroff, who is a lawyer based in Alaska. Barrett specializes in adaptation law, and we talk about some of the tribal communities that she works with that are impacted by climate change and then the various legal challenges associated with relocating these communities. It's very costly, and Barrett really digs into this. It's very interesting, and adaptation law is this new and emerging issue. So that's next week. Okay, I'll go over most of the housekeeping items at the end of this podcast, but I just want to say please consider supporting the podcast. You can go to my website at americadaps.org, and there's an option to support. Please consider that. Okay, and it's related. Podcasts succeed by word of mouth. So take a moment. You're there on your phone. Take a moment. Let your friends, your families, your colleagues know about this podcast. Share my link on your Facebook page. Tweet about it. That is greatly appreciated. Smaller podcasts succeed by word of mouth. So I greatly appreciate you taking the time to do that. Okay, let's get this podcast started with Andrew Lewin with Speak Up for Blue. Hey, adapters. Welcome back to another fantastic episode of America Daps, the climate change podcast. Today is the first time I've had this. A fellow podcaster is on my podcast. It's Andrew Lewin, the host of Speak Up for Blue. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you very much, Doug. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be here on another podcast. 
Yes, it's uh, I, I've, you know we connected not too long ago, but it's kind of exciting. That's what you know a lot of podcasts do. If it's if you're even in the ballpark of topics, you know you try to kind of get other people's podcasts. We were introduced, and you're doing some amazing work, and we're going to talk about that today. But uh, yeah, welcome. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's it's fun. You know, when I first started out uh, about a year and a half ago, there weren't many similar podcasts. So it's kind of fun when you connect with with some similar ones and 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 meet the people and you you realize you have the same goals. So it's kind of fun to to connect about that way. It's kind of an unusual podcast too cuz I want to cover two topics and and okay. the first part of the conversation I want to talk about you, your podcast and just everything about that and then halfway through I want to pivot and this is kind of unusual but you'd mentioned that you have experience and knowledge of this is the, I guess they called it the war on science that occurred in Canada. And I, I should have mentioned Andrew's based in Can- what, what city are you based in? I, I, I missed that. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm in Burlington, Ontario. Oh, and so I, what I was saying is that, you know, you're from Canada and we're going to yeah. talk about this war on science that occurred and, until relatively recent. And then I want you to kind of update us because we might be going through that same experience yeah. now in the Trump administration. I think that'd be very useful for a lot of the scientists that, that listen to this. So those are the two areas that I want to talk about. So right. does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great, man. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So just, you know, quickly... I've listened to a few of your podcasts, not, yep. you know, not a ton. You've, you're a machine and we'll get into that. <laughs> These are great podcasts, but I wasn't able to listen to your last one. So I had a mole listen in and okay. this person transcribed back a few lines from your latest episode. And I just want to read it to you if that's okay. Oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. All right. Sounds good. All right. This is exactly what you said. Apparently. Hey guys, Andrew here. Have you heard of this new podcast? America adapts. <laughs> Oh, wow. It really sucks. Wait a minute. Hold on. (laughs) Let me finish. The host, Doug Parsons, sounds like a prepubescent 13-year-old. I can't believe his guests don't burst out laughing whenever he opens his mouth. If this is the sort of person working on climate change issues, we're all doomed. So, what's up with that, Andrew? You know what? I think uh, you have a bad mole because that is not what I said at all. (laughs) This is turf stuff, man. This yeah. is battle of the podcast. I'm going to battle back. I assure you when we're done recording this, I'm going to have a little bit at the end and I'm taking you down. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, that's definitely definitely not what I said. All right. Well, I'm reading between the lines. Yeah, but, you know. yeah I think so. All right. On that note. Andrew, what is Speak Up for Blue, your podcast? What is it all about? You know what? It's it's uh, it's really a tool for me to make people aware of what's happening in the ocean. But I guess five or six years ago now, I, I you know I was talking with friends and and we were just talking about the you know what what I do for work and 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 stuff, and they started talking about things that are like they they started mentioning things that I was like, you should know this. Like, how come you don't know, you know, about invasive species? How come you don't know and how, how bad they could be uh, for the Great Lakes or for the ocean? How, you know, and uh, how do you not know about climate change? And why are you saying, why are you asking me if it's real or not? And all these things that I just, I kept hearing over and over again. And these are from people like I went to university with these people. They're my good friends. And, uh, and they weren't saying it in a malicious kind of way. They just, they just weren't aware. And it, it kind of got me angry. It's like, how come these, you know, 
people don't know about this. It's all over the internet. You can read about it anytime. And then I realized, I'm like, you know what? There's just not a lot of information on it for the public, for regular people who, I always say regular people and not scientists. I don't mean it that way. But it's, it's you know, it's just people who who aren't scientists and who don't really read about the ocean all the time. I mean, I was, sub, I am submersed, you know, no pun intended. I am submersed in the ocean. You know, I, that's all I do every day when I'm looking for news my flipboard is all ocean stuff. You know, everything I do is about the ocean. That's what I think about. It's what I dream about everything. So I realized quickly that, you know what, there's a lot of information out there. I have friends who are, you know, from all different backgrounds and everything who are just fascinated with fantasy sports and they know so much about fantasy sports and they look at me like, how come you don't know all this, like the numbers of each person and what they do and why are you always in last place in the NFL pool when you should be in first place because you love the NFL? Well, I don't read it all day like they do. And so I realized quickly that people have other, you know, other outlets to educate themselves. And so I was like, and I looked around, I'm like, there's really not that much for uh, ocean conservation. And especially in the podcasting community, there just wasn't a dedicated episode when I was looking around uh, for ocean conservation. So I said, you know what? I like to talk. So I, I'd, I'd give it a shot. I'm one of those people who just kind of throws up, throws up something on the wall and hopefully if it, it sticks and just to see if it'll stick. So I'll just, I just kind of jumped into it, bought myself a, a small microphone and started to do podcasting. And, and I'm, I think I just recorded my 279th episode today. That is insane. I mean, so how many year, years have you been doing this? I've been doing it for about a, uh, just over a year and a half. Right. So that's just ridiculous. A yeah. year. I've been doing this for seven months to, and I have like 29 episodes. You've been doing it for a year. <laughs> and so yeah, I guess give a little bit of background there. So you, you try to produce three or four episodes a week. So I do, I do three episodes a week. Every once in a while, I'll throw in like a bonus. So uh, but I'll tell you how I started. I start out once a week with an interview. And those were going really well. I, you know, I was, you know, my, my people were downloading. I was, it was slow, you know, as as everything is at the beginning. But it was fun. So I did like the first twelve weeks were were just once a week uh, interview. And then I was like, I really like this. And then I uh, Nathan Johnson, who who does some of the podcasts with me on on Fridays, uh, and and who's a big collaborator, wanted to collaborate with me. And he's like, Hey, can I write some of your blog posts? So I was like, Perfect. I'm going to five days a week podcast, and you can write the blog posts. And he was fine with that. And we did one interview. And the other two, one, three of them, two of them were solo. Three of them were solo. One of them was an interview, and then the fifth one was a was a what I call Ocean Talk Friday, where Nathan and I would kind of get four articles and we talk about stuff going on during that week. Articles that came out, whether they be journal articles or just articles on like Bloomberg or or wherever, right? And uh, and I went five days a week. And but the thing is, is I'm doing this as like a supplement to my regular job, uh, which we'll talk about later on, but. When it got, I got to a certain point where I was like, I just can't do it. I can't keep up. You know how hard it is to podcast. I can't keep up with five days a week. So I went to three days a week. So I do one solo on Monday where it's just me talking. Uh, and then I do an interview on Wednesday. And then I do an Ocean Talk Friday on Friday. And uh, most of the time I have people and I've been – Nathan's been busy lately. So I've been getting uh, other people, marine social scientists, uh, Ed Hines, who's been – Ed Hines, who's been helping me out. Um, I'm getting uh, another person uh, who's who's helped me as well. And now I'm actually including some of the audience members who contribute to my Patreon campaign uh, to do Ocean Talk Friday as well. It's one of the levels on Patreon. So um, I'm going to start that in in, uh, in March. Uh, yeah, so it's a lot of fun. I do – I like doing three times a week. It's it, I do a lot of – batch I, I batch record a bunch of my solo ones so i have it all out and i have an assistant who helps me out with the, the editing and stuff so i can just focus on the content 
it, it's all about oceans, right? It's just it's just childhood passion. I mean, you sort of explained part of it there, but I yeah. mean, it's 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 so what, what's your academic background, or is it just something you you like to talk about? No, I, I'm a, I'm a marine ecologist. I, okay. I, I, uh, I'm a marine ecologist. I'm, I'm actually a marine spatial ecologist. I do a lot of uh, GIS, so it's a lot of uh, mapping and doing spatial analysis and, uh, and modeling. So I'm a, I'm a numbers geek. I, I enjoy the, the statistics and, and whatnot. But I, I, you know, on this, I've always been interested in the ocean ever since I was I was 14 years old. Maybe growing up near the Great Lakes kind of inspired me. But I, I'm a saltwater guy, so Great Lakes don't really help me out as much. Uh, but it just the ocean fascinates me. So I, I'm I'm my passion is driven by the ocean and and uh, and so I just continue to think about it all the time in ways I can help from here in Ontario. I work as a freshwater biologist uh, at, at Department of Fisheries and Oceans for, for the federal government um, and I do this on the side because I, I just love it so much. Um, eventually, it'll probably be my business full-time, hopefully. But right now, it's just something that's just like a passion project of mine, um, and I and I enjoy it. But yeah, like I've I've connected with a lot of people. I, I I'm on a couple of board of directors. For one is an education organization, another one is a marine uh, ocean planning organization, and then another one is uh, a Canadian Society for Coastal Coastal Zone Canada. So I'm very enthralled into the into the marine conservation and science uh, realm. Well, you know, you, you do have an interesting model. I mean, you have that ocean Friday. That's what it's called, Ocean Friday, or what's that? Is that ocean, right? Ocean, ocean Talk Friday. Yeah. Ocean Talk Friday. But then, you know, what I've listened to to is you like you have a variety of different segments. Like I listened to a fifteen minute bit on Leo DiCaprio talking mm-hmm. about climate change at the Oscars. But then you'll mm-hmm. have these longer pieces where you're interviewing someone. I'm right now doing the weekly kind of a longer interview model with just a guest. But uh, yeah. yeah, so you know what. I think it's interesting what works for you. And I don't think it would work for me is those shorter segments. It's just you. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think you do a really good job that if you're not careful, it comes off as you're like, you're just a 15 minute lecture, but it's almost like you're having a conversation with yourself. Yeah. And so it, it's, it's easy to follow. It's good. So it works out. I appreciate I mean, that. Now, I, was, I was nervous about the solo one when I first started, because I didn't want to come off as sort of this elitist telling people what to do. So a lot of times I will include sort of my ignorance in the matter. So I'll, so sometimes I'll learn about something that's completely new to me and I'll start talking about it. So there's times where I'm like, Hey, this may be right or may not, might not be right. You know, get somebody from the community to help me out here and and, and fact check this uh, just to be on the safe side. So I kind of bring in my own flaws into the aspect and I think it kind of makes it a little better. So people are like, and then it drives, the idea is to drive a conversation or start a conversation. And so people email me after I'll send out, I'll, I'll tell people my email and I've, I've been getting some more and more emails back every week on, Hey, have you looked out for this article or I love what you were saying about this uh, subject matter and so forth. So it's pretty good. Oh, the best part of the, the week for podcasters hearing from people that are listening, you know, oh, it's yeah. just, it's the random email and you're like, Oh, this, what is this going to be? And so I'm, I'm sure you get tons of that. So, yeah, it's getting more and more now. And, and I, I, re- I do it for, it makes me feel so good. You know, it, it definitely does. Tell me about some of your guests. As you started the podcast, I, I'm not quite sure how you started to recruit people, just people you knew, but it's probably turned into something where you're probably getting to talk to world experts in in the various areas of ocean conservation and ocean science. And so, like, I guess throw out some names. Who are you talking to? Start off with with uh, Judith Weiss, who is a uh, 
sort of a coastal expert, you know, mud flats and salt marshes and whatnot. And we, and we spoke about a new book that she had out and she's been amazing. And she was, she was a, a friend of, of sort of the website speak up before I started, like it was basically a blog before I started the podcast. Um, Dr. Craig McLean, who is the uh, chief editor of deep which is essentially uh, an outreach science communication uh, portal for him and, and deep sea news. And he's got a bunch of uh, different writers on there that are science scientists from all over the, all over the world, which is a fantastic site too. I highly recommend that one to read Andrew Thaler, who's the chief editor of uh, southernfriedscience.com, another blog that's very, very similar, but deals with a lot of fisheries issues and whatnot. So a lot of them were like people that I knew at the beginning. And then I started to know more and more people through the podcast uh, Angelo Villa Gomez, who works for Pew Charitable Trust, and he does a lot of. At, at the time, we talked about shark conservation in small island states. I talked to Naomi, Dr. Naomi Rose, who uh, is an expert in marine mammal uh, science, especially when it looks at orca captivity. So she came on early on in the podcast, uh, life of the podcast, uh, as uh, explaining the science behind blackfish, which is to date uh, my second highest downloaded uh, episode. Uh, one of the best episodes. And she came back on at a conference that I did where I did a one-on-one interview with her live on seaside pens for, for captive orcas when they when they decided to release us and, and told us all about Keiko and the story behind Keiko and how it got misrepresented. Well, I had Carl Safina on, Dr. Carl Safina, who's a sort of an ocean conservation celebrity. Uh, we talked all about his, sort of his career and how things have changed over the past 30, 40 years um, in terms of how people, uh, and you'll, and you probably get this with some of your guests is how people view experts now compared to back in the eighties, when a scientist of the PhD spoke, people listened. Now they try and uh, discredit them right for their own purpose. So we talked a lot about that and about the tuna industry and fishing and all sorts of things like that. Uh, you know, so so people like that. We I just I just interviewed for uh, Dr. Ed Ed Hines, who who's done some Ocean Talk Friday stuff. He's a marine social scientist, so we're talking about um, you know how fish how the fishing community and fishing people play a, a role in um, ocean conservation and, and marine management, fisheries management. Yeah, so it's just it's all over the place. And what I've noticed that you know for me is I had to track down a bunch of people at the beginning, uh, and I find now people are actually in, like emailing me saying, "Hey, is there a chance that we can get on the on the podcast uh, to discuss. So I think that's awesome. And some of the, the stories that we've, that we've looked at uh, manga Bay, which is a, an online sort of magazine, I guess, or an online blog or website that has, it's almost like scientific American reached out to me to, to cover a couple of stories that I would like because I do marine protected areas. Uh, that's, that's my, that's what my interest. And so I, I covered one of their stories and they, they have a great website. So I've been covering more and I'm going to, I'm, I'm scheduling uh, an interview with one of their, their reporters uh, on some of the stories that they choose and why they choose those stories and how those websites work. Um, so it's really interesting how the relationships develop and it's kind of, it's been a really great networking tool for me to get to know all these different people. Goals this year uh, is to have uh, some celebrities on. So Adrian Grenier, that's my, one of my goals. Uh, another one, obviously, uh, Dr. Sylvia Earle is another is another big goal. And so, yeah, a bunch of things. It's It's been a really interesting uh, journey uh, to interview a lot of people. And I love it. I love speaking with people. I love finding about what makes them so inspired and what's, what drives their passion and then how do they go about doing it. It's been pretty cool. Well, we'll pivot to that really quickly. Uh, I want to get to the the war on science, but it's just yeah. a couple more things about the podcast. And you know, you're so organized. I, I asked <laughs> you to find me your climate change related um, 
podcast. And so you created this SoundCloud. Now, can I use that link and share it in my show notes? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like a dozen here. And so let me just read out a few of them. So if people have a sense of, you know, you do climate change is is threaded throughout, you know, ocean and climate change, sea bass responding to climate change, warming oceans can cause dead zones. There was the Leo DiCaprio one, sea level rise increased underestimated according to science. You're talking about some articles there. And so, you know, I'm sure climate change could keep you busy, but uh, yeah, you, you touch upon it really well. And I, and I guess what I want to ask you before we kind of move on is that yeah. what climate change impact really scares you the most in regards to oceans? Oh, man, that's a good question. I would say sea level rise right now because I think – I mean if you, if, you, if you read – I mean you know when you, when you read and hear about the, the models that have, been, that have been predicting sea level rise – you you really see like in 50 years you know there's going to be a huge rise and and a lot of places are going to be underwater or parts of a lot of places are going to be underwater uh, and in 100 years a lot more are going to be underwater and and that scares me because what what it is 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 because they, when they talk about in the models they talk about oh yeah there's going to be a global rise of a centimeter or a mil a few millimeters and that doesn't scare anybody because it's only a few millimeters and centimeters globally but think about the volume of that, what that would be globally. It would be huge. And certain places that are, you know, just a little bit above seawater are going to feel the effects. They're going to lose a lot of land. Um, a lot of islands are going to lose a lot of land. And and Florida is going to lose a lot of land, especially the, with with the loss of the Everglades um, or the, the, the constant losing of the Everglades. So it, it that scares me because it doesn't scare any it doesn't scare many people. And people just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's only a few millimeters or a couple centimeters or maybe a meter, whatever. That's not going to make a big difference. It will make a big difference. It's going to make a huge difference. It's already making a difference where people in small island communities are having to move like these tribes that are that are that don't live sort of with in modern society are having to move islands because that are that they've been there for centuries because they don't have any land left. So that's a serious, that's a serious thing, and and people aren't taking it seriously. So that's why it scares me. Um, but then you've got you know ocean acidification, and, and uh, you know you got the almost ninety three percent bleaching because of of increased of uh, heat and seawater of the of the Great Barrier uh, Great Barrier Reef. Like that's 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 scary, right? <laughs> that is House of Horrors. All Jesus, around. yeah, you know, and you well, don't know how much of that is going to recover and whatnot. It's just yeah, it's it's a nightmare. It really is. I don't want to undercut sea level rise. It's obviously a big one. But you know what? To me, ocean acidification Mm. is this sleeper one. And like with at least sea level rise, you can see it coming. It's not going to happen tomorrow. But even if it happens 20 years from now, it's going to be catastrophic. Mm. But you can still flee. But like ocean acidification, I see at some moment, is there like just a flip off of the ecosystems? And Mm -hmm. there's literally nothing humans could do take that acid out of that water so that right. i mean to me it's a huge x factor oh so. it's yeah it is it really is and that's that's the one that's going to have a lot of damage on the economy especially like the fishing and aquaculture economy for for shellfish and it already has right it, in, in was it in seattle or vancouver um i think it was last year there was an article that came out saying um the they didn't have enough fish larvae uh, or, or oyster larvae to create the next stock and they had to they lost like five million 
they, I think they, they lost like five million dollars or something like that in one batch or five five million larvae or something like that. it was something ridiculous where they had to lay off a bunch of people from this from this that's very pro- historically productive aquaculture facility um, that fed most of the western seaboard so you know you were already seeing it right and 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 areas that are, are hot spots for it are the north one of the, those areas are the northwest where there's a lot of those aquaculture facilities where you get upwelling and it's more acid water. And, or acidic water, and and so it, that's really affecting the oyster beds in there. So yeah, it's, you're going to see the the biggest economic impact, but we don't see it with our eyes. You're right, we don't see it with our eyes. On that positive note, I, <laughs> I wanted to end on an anecdote you told me that you now you're starting to travel around a bit. You're going to conferences and and yeah. such, and that you're you've done so many episodes, and there's you know there's so few voices in these podcasts for these topics that were. I mean, I found that I filled in a, a vacuum on climate change. For is sure. that you have become a, a bit of a voice celebrity, right? You'll you'll go to these <laughs> events and people will be like, "Hey, it's Andrew from Speak yeah. Up for Blue," right? Yeah, like I went to a conference. Uh, really, my first conference that I went to after having the podcast for about a year, and uh, I got this microphone that I'm that I'm speaking on now, and it gives it a lot of bass to my voice, which I love. It gives me that radio voice. When I went to the conference, I walk I walked by somebody. And I, was, I guess I was talking, and they're like that voice. I, I know that voice and I'm like, what? And they're like, you have a podcast, don't you? And they, and they guessed what it was. And, and there nice. were other people. Yeah. I did a, I did a workshop on podcasting and how other people can do podcasting. And, and uh, somebody walked into the conference who had nothing to do with the conference, walked in and saw my slide with my cover art for, for iTunes. And they're like, I just listened to that on the way in and oh, they had nice. nothing to do with it. And I was like, are you kidding me? That blows my mind below. Absolutely blows my mind. So it's, it's kind of fun. Yes, um, you got that smooth, silky voice, Andrew. So it works to your it's like advantage. That good baritone, yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to do a, a major pivot here, and this is how yeah. I kind of want to wrap up the episode and just sure. spend a bit of time talking about the war on science. And and, and, and I'm doing a quick pivot, but I'm going to have all sorts of information on the podcast and the, the show notes. I hope okay. people give it a, a, a listen. It's great. And you, you just, it's so, so many topics that you can choose from. So yeah. you're, gonna, you're just going to, it's going to be like kids in a candy store if you, you're ocean interested. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, if you can kind of quickly talk about, because I don't think a lot of uh, it, people from the United States understand Dan, what really happened in Canada? Yeah. And it happened under the previous prime minister, Stephen Harper. And if you yeah. could kind of give like a brief history of, you know, what was the war on science up in Canada? Yeah, it really revolved around uh, economy first and, and nothing else second. Stephen Harper was the conservative leadership. Uh, he was the, the conservative leader and the prime minister for 10 years. And so our conservatives would be would be very similar to your, your uh, Republicans. Um, but he was – I should give you a little history about him. He's a very conservative person. Uh, we had a party in the early 90s, early to mid-90s called the Reform Party, which I would equate it to almost the Tea Party for the U.S. So very, very reserved, very conservative, very you know, like quote-unquote traditional as in old-style values. Uh, he wrote the party uh, manifesto for, for the Reform Party. That collapsed eventually because people just didn't take it seriously. Um, we have a, a multi-party system, I should also say. Uh, we have the, the liberals. We have the conservatives. So the liberals would be Democrats. The conservatives, we have uh, the NDP, New, New Democratic Party, uh, which are very like union-focused. They 
kind of like they're they're kind of like liberals but a little more socialist. Uh, we have the Bloc Québécois, which is all about separating from Quebec, separating Quebec from Canada. They were big in the '90s. They're not so, so big now. And we have a Green Party. Uh, who's very good, by the way. So we have a multi-party system. So the Reform Party was one of those parties. It, it collapsed. It became the Conservative Party. And then Stephen Harper, who's been sort of a lifetime politician, has kind of, kind of rose through those ranks and became the leader of the party. The Liberals had a domination for about 12 years. So when, when the Liberals screwed up royally one time uh, and had a big scandal, $100 million scandal, they were ousted and the Conservatives got in on a minority government with Stephen Harper in power. And he wasn't able to do a lot. Because of the minority, um, and but then eventually he got into they got into power again um, for about six. It was like it was like two cycles, um, and but the last five years of of the reign was was a majority, and that's and that's when um, stuff hit the fan. Because uh, the first thing in the budget, what they decided to do is they decided to change the Fisheries Act, and the Fisheries Act there was a section thirty six in the Fisheries Act that basically said you can't do any harm to fish habitat. So that means you can't do any harm to fish or fish habitat without any kind of compensation. Either you pay money towards another fund, like a conservation project, or you build have you put money to build habitat somewhere else. So you have to do, put in compensation. So what they did is they basically filibustered that into the budget. So you have to vote for the budget to go through. Um, and they put in the change of the Fisheries Act to say – Instead of fish habitat, it's just uh, historically fish species. So that when that went through, they basically changed the entire act um, from saying you can't destroy land like habitat to say they have to be a they have to be a fishery species for at least thirty years. So a commercially, recreationally, or aboriginally viable species or important species. So that changed the entire game for for consultants and and everything and the reason why they did that and they snuck it through the reason why they did that was because pipelines were going through and it was all about the oil and gas industry for them they said we are a natural resource country and Stephen Harper wanted a natural resource economy that was based on mostly oil and gas and mining right because we have a lot of mining in the arctic as it was, as as the as the arctic was melting diamond mines came in and gold mines came came to the head. Um, the tar sands are still huge in, in, uh, in Canada for natural resources. So we want to get that. The thing is, it's so expensive to get that bitumen out of the, out of the land that it was hard to, it's, it's even more expensive to get it to shore because it's in Alberta. It's like sort of like the prairies It's sort of like not central Canada, but right in the land surrounded by land. So it was very difficult to get it out. Keystone wasn't going through because Obama wouldn't let the Keystone pipeline go through. Um, so they wanted one that would go to the Pacific and would go to the, uh, would go out to, to China and the Asian markets. So just that's, sorry, that's a longer history than I wanted to say, but that is sort of the basis for everything. They changed the fisheries act. So they changed the science or they changed the regulations that changed the science within the government they went through what they called, and I quote, uh, a strategic review, which is basically layoffs. So they forced all the people who were close to pension and close to retirement out, or many of them out. They took away entire entire research facilities, like entire research groups. So Parks Canada, which is very similar to sort of uh, your uh, marine sanctuaries, were looking at putting up a marine park right where – uh, the mouth of the port where they were going to put the pipeline in because there's a big humpback um, uh, feeding area right there. They got rid of that, that, that research group that would, that would looked into that. 
all in all, they, they, they took away 700 positions from Environment Canada and very equal amount to Fisheries and Oceans Canada. It was brutal. The cuts that they made, like I, I was in the government at the, at the time when they started it, and you would watch people go into a, like a bunch of people go into a room. And then you'd watch them come out and they're all like in tears. They're devastated. They basically said, you've lost your job. You have a choice. Now, the one thing that saved them was the union. The union saved the, a lot of these people's jobs. So they didn't get laid off. They got, quote unquote, affected. So essentially, if they could find a new position in out the way the restructuring was going. So they got rid of the fish habitat group that would work with the, like consultants and developers um, to make sure that they weren't destroying the land. Um, they got rid of that group and they put in the fisheries protection program, which was to cater under the new fisheries act. So only for fish and fishing species and, and so forth. So all that with the strategic review and the cuts to, to people's jobs and no hiring, like a hiring freeze was coupled by nobody could talk about anything. They, they silenced the science. Uh, we couldn't go on social media. We couldn't share things. We couldn't talk about things. Uh, to the public. There was a, a climate change conference in Montreal. So you'd think, you know, climate change in Canada conference, you know, we have some of the best climate change scientists in the world. We're going to this, that are going to this, they were part of Environment Canada, one of the other departments that's equal to say your EPA. And they were going to this conference. So they're going to be asking questions, right? Climate change was coming to a huge, huge um, point in time where, um, you know, the, 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 the inconvenient truth came out and everybody wants to know about climate change and want to hear from our government scientists. Those each government scientist that was good in climate change, they weren't allowed to talk to the press unless they were talked to their accompanying PR person. And, and so they had a script that they had to say. They couldn't say anything else. One, uh, the, and then there was the other part was there was, um, you know, salmon's a huge issue over in BC. Sometimes, you know, the salmon will come back, coho salmon, Pacific salmon will come back. And there's like 11 million of them coming back from the ocean to, to spawn. And then sometimes only a million. We don't know what, we still don't know what was happening. A government scientist at Fisheries and Oceans Canada came up with, had a, had a publication in, in Science is either science or nature. I think it was Science Magazine, which is like for a science publication, that is huge, right? For for a scientist to get it published, it was on the cover. So she basically found that there was there was a parasite from the aquaculture facilities, the open pen aquaculture facilities that got into the wild and was affecting the the, the uh, Pacific and coho salmon. So there was a huge commission, what they called the Cohen Commission. It was a huge like investigation of what was happening and this and that. She came up, she had this, this, um, this article, there's basically a science article, which is open. It's, it's supposed to be shared within the science community, supposed to be replicated based on the methods. And that went out, that went published. That was fine. Science magazine wanted to publish it and they wanted to have a lot of PR on it. So they lined up about 26 reporters 25 to 26 reporters to interview this scientist, this, this, this woman scientist and the government kiboshed the whole thing. They said, no, you're not allowed to interview. You're not allowed to talk about it at all. So not only was she not allowed to talk about it, but afterwards they went through all of her budget items and what she was doing and what she was doing. She was running a service to help raise money uh, for her science. Uh, she was, she was being pretty innovative the way, the way I, the way I see it. And she was running um, because she knew a lot about, parasites on fish. So he was running tests for the aquaculture facilities uh, in, in BC. 
And so she would hire students and whatnot to run these things. Well, the government said you can't fund your research based on outside money. It had to be only DFO money. So they, they, they restricted her DFO money further. So she couldn't do research on it. So that, that's what was going on behind the scenes while Harper was in power. So obviously not good. I mean, no. he, he eventually left. I mean, what was it like? I mean, the day after, I mean, there, was it a abrupt <sighs> shift? Yeah, it was, it was not necessarily the day after. I mean, before when he was in, you can tell people, people weren't happy. We were under, under resource. So, you know, per like science power, you know, we, we, the, 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 the air was thicker. You know what I mean? It was just people were were down on things. There was no hope to get science out into the public. So it was a little bit down. Like our 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 science wasn't getting out. We couldn't share it with a lot of people. We weren't allowed to go to meetings because travel was so difficult. So even when we do like binational uh, work with like our U.S. counterparts, we couldn't go. We could we couldn't travel. They weren't they weren't approving it, or they'd make it so difficult to approve that people wouldn't even go. So that. That was really bad, and so the the sort of the the attitude was really bad within within the science community in in, uh, in the government. And then when when Trudeau and the Liberals got a majority government, which was unexpected, it was completely unexpected. Um, that was huge. That was a huge change. And about a month after they got elected, they they or maybe less three weeks after they got elected, they announced the new ministers. So like kind of like your secretaries, right? They announced the the new ministers. And um, once they announced the new ministers, they shared the mandate of of the departments, which has traditionally never really been shared before. The, the conservative government never shared it with us. And that was essentially for this administration. This is the goal of this department. So Fisheries and Ocean had specific goals. They were going to increase our marine protected areas by 15 or by to 10 percent in five years. They were going to uh, put in $40 million back into the, the DFO budget so that we can get more science data, which was taken out by the conservative government. All this was coming in, and, but we weren't sure about it, but it was in the mandate. And we're like, holy cow, this is really happening. Then when they announced the minister and the mandate came out, we had a meeting Friday afternoon, 3.15 p.m. I'll never forget this. And we were all like, oh, it was a national meeting. So it went from the East Coast all the way to the West Coast. So different time zones, you know, Canada's a big country, different time zones. The, the entire department was listening in, especially on science. And the minister came on and he said, I hate to actually have to say this, but you are now all unmuzzled. You can go on Facebook. You can go on social media. You can like, you can criticize, you can share your work. If you want to take pictures of your, of, uh, you know, your field work and what you're doing and take videos, please do. Do it all. Of course, we, you know, there's certain restrictions in terms of like species at risk and invasive species, which are, you know, sensitive topics that you have to be careful of because you don't want to damage, you know, this, this, especially species at risk. You don't want to damage habitat and stuff like that. But, you know, it was once that happened, like people were just, we were in shock. And then that just lifted our spirits. You know, now hiring is easier. Uh, in the last year, we've gone through a process to hire 135 permanent positions back into DFO. And that's just, just in the science, right? How does a country, I mean, we're going through it ourselves, but how does a country like jerk between two such radical visions and how does the public just kind of shrug, you know, either way, you yeah. know? It's well, the, like- the, the one thing that really kind of persists that I found, which I was surprised, I guess I was surprised, but not surprised is the public service, the people who work that have no real political ties, like we can't show any kind of political f- favoritism. The people who work in the government do the work because we love it. You know, we're the scientists. We still do it because we love it. So a lot of the programs that weren't affected continued on. 
And people just would do what they had to do. If we had to work later or work longer hours, we would work longer hours because we wanted to get the science done. We wanted to get the work done. So that's probably what's going to happen in a lot of these places. There's, you know, for I, you know, I heard there's a hiring freeze and you can't talk about science, but people are still going to do their jobs with the programs that remain. Some programs might get changed. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the EPA? I, I can't even imagine life without EPA um, in the future. But if the EPA remains and the people who, who are there remain, life's going to go on. There may be certain programs that are cut or or diminished to the point where they can't really do anything. But other programs, they're still going to go on because we're scientists. We still do the work because we love the work. And I think that's important to know um, that the people in the government, the people that work for NOAA, the people who work for EPA, U.S. Fisheries and Wildlife, all the Department of Environment, they're – they're going to keep continue doing their work because they love it. It's going to be harder for them and they're not going to have as much support and partnerships as they used to and money and people, but they're still going to do the work, the people that remain. Um, and that's going to be, that's the, that's the sort of the silver lining in, in, in this whole catastrophe. Well, that has been a very thorough explanation of things. <laughs> and, you know, as, as we wrap this up, but uh, you, you've must've noticed that, I guess when it comes to social media, there's all these like alt NPS, alt mm-hmm. EPA. And uh, mm-hmm. was there anything similar that happened in nothing like Canada? that? No, nothing like that. I was surprised to see that, but I was happy to see it. And the one thing that, that the U S has on its side, there are a lot of non, non-governmental organizations out there. There are a lot of academics that want to speak up and that, that are speaking up and speaking out. Um, and, and they're supporting as much as they can, their government counterparts, the public service people, their friends, their colleagues, that is amazing. And they're resisting sort of this whole stuff. Like, like look what happened with the national parks, right? They want to devalue the national parks so that they can put it onto the States. And that didn't happen. That bill didn't go through because the hunters and the fishermen spoke out and said, no, no, we like our national parks. We don't want to see, you know, it, it get ruined. So you're seeing other, other sectors and other interest groups that are rising up to the occasion because people love the environment. And we don't want to see it destroyed. And that's what they see it. So I love the fact that we see these alt groups and that we see people just pushing out information on climate change and educating people in a very fun, interesting and entertaining way. That is going to be the key. And the, I mean, technology is out there. They can't hide the truth. I had a, a my last guest. Was it now? No, two guests ago. She, she was from the National Park Service and right. she recorded three days before Trump's inauguration. And, right. you know, we went by the book. She got permission at the highest levels at the National Park Service during the Obama administration. And she knew she was coming on three days before, but it wasn't actually published until Trump was president. And so he had done some of the things. And I'm pretty sure it caused some heartburn over at MPS, but um, <laughs> it's, you know, she. Did everything and, and the podcast yeah. itself was pretty. It was her about talking about some adaptation handbook that they were doing, and we talked a little yeah. bit about Trump, what she might speculate might happen. But it was more, she was very diplomatic. But it was of interesting course. that she would not get permission today to come. Oh, not the at podcast. all. Uh, not at all. And that's the thing. Like you know, you know, you and I, we we run a podcast, but we're not huge podcasts. We're not the Joe Rogan experience, right? We're not getting millions and millions of downloads and millions of people, but people are listening. Right. And people and more and more people will come to sort of our outlets, our independent outlets to get truth. And I think as science communicators, because that's what essentially we are, we have I feel that we have that mission to provide people with the truth and, and in an unbiased way. 
right? Yeah, I don't agree with many of the policies of the Trump administration, but there might be some things that he does that could be right for science or it could be a, a normal move for government. You know, I often find myself, I'm like, am I comparing Obama to the Obama administration work and and the, the Trump administration work? Are they similar? Are they different? How are they different? How are they going to, how is it going to change? I mean, there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered, but, you know, I think we, it's, it's for us to, to provide it in a, in a scientific way and, and obviously in a common sense way, but um, to be as unbiased as possible and just provide the truth because I don't want to alienate any of any people who support Trump. I want to, my, my whole point is to provide the information that's out on the environment and to be as truthful as possible. And I find as science communicators, that's what we owe the, the, the people, our audience, we owe them the truth and, and we owe them anything in an unbiased way. Cause they may have political um, affiliations for whatever reason they have. And I don't want to go, I don't want my show to be necessarily a political show. I want it to be a, you know, science and conservation show. And so that's, that's what I provide. So yeah, that's sort of how I feel about that. You know, I'm on the same boat. I mean, I politics comes up, but I'm I'm not a flamethrower most of the time. It's like it's that's not what I'm going for. So, yeah. Hey, so the last thing I want to do this is a recurring yep. thing that I do with guests is that if you could recommend and keep in mind this is a adaptation climate change podcast. Uh, right. If you could recommend any future guest, I've actually invited some people on that were recommended. Who who would you recommend that I follow up on? Uh, I would recommend there's a, a, a Canadian scientist at Memorial University called Brett Favero. Um, and I, I just I just interviewed him. He's going to be coming up next week. He just wrote uh, a book on uh, climate change and adaptation. So how it's basically how people uh, can be a um, how you can how can you can be a, a, a carbon hero? I think is what it's called, and it's uh, it's the Carbon Code: How You Can Become a Climate Change Hero. And it's a book that's coming out in May. Um, and and he's a fantastic person. He's he does fisheries biology, but he's a conservation biologist. So he wrote this book basically for the average Joe and and Jane that want to do something and be healthy for the environment and for themselves and and save money and and uh, be a climate change hero. So I would recommend uh, Brett Favaro. All right. That sounds Dr. pretty cool. I think probably maybe the timing would be better closer to the book launch. It's always yeah. good to kind of co- coordinate that. All right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. So any final thoughts before we sign off? You know, not really. I think the the, the biggest thing, uh, you know, that I would recommend to your, your audience is, is start small, right? If you want to adapt, start small, just do things that are, that are, that you can do one thing at a time and then build on that. You know, do the changes, small changes, like I mentioned, stop using single use plastic that uses oil to create, you know, change your light bulbs to LEDs, you know, slowly if you, if you have to, or all together, if you, if you can afford it, you know, start looking at when you change your car, start looking at hybrid cars and things like that. Just start slowly, right. And, and work up to sort of the bigger changes like a car and that, and that kind of stuff. Excellent message. And again, I remind everyone, if you're there on your phones listening to this, just go ahead and search for Speak Up for Blue and and subscribe. Andrew's doing some amazing work over there, and uh, we'll have more information uh, in the show notes. But thanks for coming on, Andrew. And uh, thank you. You and I will be in touch for any number of reasons. All right. Hey, everybody. This is America Adapts, the climate change podcast. All right. That's a wrap. Adapters, thanks again to Andrew Lewin from Speak Up for Blue for coming on. Hey, Andrew, keep at it. You're an amazing individual. You are passionate about ocean conservation, and we are lucky to have you out there talking about these issues. 
Okay. Don't forget to like the Facebook page and there's a community group page where there's a little bit more casual conversations. I tell you some things that I'm doing and people share articles. Again, just search for America Adapts and you'll get a couple options. I'm on Twitter at USA Adapts. Please tweet me. It's so nice to hear from folks when we're tweeting, tweeting, whatever it is. All right. That sounded really lame like I was out of touch. I know it's tweeting and it's Twitter. Okay. All right. Again, next week, I have Barrett Rostroff, who's going to be talking about tribal communities in Alaska. We're going to be talking climate change and adaptation law and all these different things that are going to have to happen as communities start to have to be translocated to other areas. And we also talk about, could we learn some lessons from these very tiny communities and could they be applied at some of these larger urban areas that are experiencing it too? What are they going to have to do to actually move people if it gets down to that? And again, thanks to all of you, my listeners. Don't forget to send me emails if you have ideas for guests or if you just want to say hi. I heard from someone today that I'm going to go call you out. Heard from someone from Sweden this past week, and it just made my day. They said that they'd been listening to the podcast for a while, and they were looking at going back to going to graduate school. And they've changed their mind by listening to what adaptation is all about. And so they're going to go back and study adaptation. And I'm thrilled to death that the guests that I have on here are talking about this subject in such a substantive way that I think people are getting a lot out of it. So thank you. I love hearing back from listeners and if in any capacity. So I'm at americaadapts at gmail.com. And again, please subscribe on iTunes. I think most of you are getting this from iTunes and also write a review. I say this every time and I know you're out there. And I know I have a lot more listeners than that. The reviews and you want to do it. You're just like, oh, I'll do it when I get home do it right now. Just go to iTunes and they make it a little bit more complicated than it should, but just go in there, rate it, say something, be honest, and it would be greatly appreciated. Okay. Until next time, adapters. Well, no, let me just say one other, I'm catching myself here. So the National Adaptation Forum is coming up and I will be there and I am partnering up with the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. This is a new thing. I'm very excited about this. They'll be sharing the podcast on their website and their newsletters. And at the forum, I'll be partnering with them and I'll be doing micro podcasts at the forum, talking to people at the event with the goal to sharing these podcasts on a nightly basis. So it's going to be on me to try to get these out very quickly. So if they sound a little rough, that's because I had to get them out very quickly. Really looking forward to that. Beth Gibbons, who's the managing director of it ASAP, it is going to be very exciting partnering with them. And um, you'll probably hear more from them on this podcast. You know, they have a, a membership with a lot of great and interesting adaptation experts. And so they, it's just like, oh, I can pick and choose all these different great experts that are over there to come on the podcast. And so that that's coming up. And on that note, remember, adaptation is not a fire drill for climate change. It's the real thing. And thank you all so much for listening in. Until next time, this is America Adapts.